Claire FM's Beyond Belief with Stephen Fletcher. It's nine o'clock on Sunday, the 22nd of January, 2023. Time for Beyond Belief. Good evening, Stephen Fletcher with you again for the next hour and we have another packed programme for you. I have a surprise visitor come to see me as Colin Flynn, someone I've only ever spoken to online, calls in to see me in Kilrush to talk about his work, his faith and his passion for radio. In the first of our book reviews of the new year, Dr. Sue O'Brien discusses with Father Jerry Kenny two books that she's been recently reading. And of course, I have my usual chat with Father Jerry. All that to come with an eclectic mix of music, and we begin with this from the Wren Collection, My Lighthouse. Welcome to Beyond Belief. my wrestling and in my doubts in my failures you won't walk out your great love will lead me through you are the peace in my troubled sea whoa you are the peace in my troubled sea in the silence you won't let go Questions your truth will hold Your great love will lead me through You are the peace in my troubled sea Whoa, You are the peace in my troubled sea My lighthouse, my lighthouse Shining in the darkness to shore
There we are. Hello, how are you? Can you hear me, Stephen? I can indeed, Jerry, I can. Grand, great, okay. This sounds good anyway from my perspective. No, that's good. I think I can even start our conversation with this. Well, Jerry, here we are again, happy as can be. Very nice to see you on Zoom. Uh, welcome. Thank you, Stephen, and it's very happy to be with you again. Even though there's miles separating us, Zoom is allowing us to chat and to see each other. Yeah. So, Jerry, what sort of week have you had? It's been very, very cold. Uh, I'm in the UK at the moment, and it has been very cold. I had to chip chip ice off the front of the car, and it took about 10 minutes to uh, release the car so that I could drive off early yesterday morning. And not quite so bad this morning, but uh, yeah, it's uh, very frosty here. Well, it is. And I suppose just for our listeners' sake, we should uh, tell them that we're recording this a little earlier in the week. It's not actually on, on the Sunday evening. Uh, so where I am at the moment, I'm actually up in Knock in County Mayo on retreat. And I'm looking out at snow-covered fields. Wow. Uh, it's a lovely sight, but uh, it's not as cold this morning as it was yesterday. But it is uh, the temperatures have dropped. And uh, that is is slowing up things a little bit. But it's a lovely scene to look out at when you're when you're indoors and and uh, watching out through the window. Yeah, I see Bishop Finton uh, posted a picture of two inches of snow at Knock. So that's uh, right. Yes, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. That's still there, but uh, you've got your snowshoes and your your huskies. Yes. Have you? We have and, and wrapped up well, so uh, we can be out and about a little bit anyway. But we need to be careful in this weather. Uh, because with trips and falls, that's what uh, people yeah. need to be aware of. Yeah. Coming in now this week, of course, Stephen, in, in our church, we celebrate Catholic Schools Week. Mm. And it's just a reminder to us of, of the tremendous work that our schools are doing for all our children and all our families and that. And I'm particularly conscious of the schools in my area and all that they had to cope with in the past year with the arrival of the refugees from Ukraine and how they've settled in and integrated very well into our schools and the tremendous work that our schools do for our families right throughout the year. And this coming week is just a time to recognise that and to celebrate it. Good. And and what will happen during that celebration? Are there individual schools celebrating or is there a, a big festival or something? Not really. I suppose like it's tapered down a little bit since um, COVID times. But what there is, is our national organization distributes a prayer service for each day of the week as children go to, to reflect on their faith and what their faith means in the journey that they're on. And that's used in the classroom. And as well as that, schools are invited, a tradition that has grown up in recent years, uh, where possible uh, schools sometimes have a, what they call grandparents' day, where they invite mm. the grandparents uh, to come to the school. But that has been tempered as well because of COVID over time. And in this weather as well, it, it can be a little difficult. But they will, the grandparents will be remembered. And, you know, the grandparents have a tremendous role, especially in terms of faith and passing on the values and the traditions uh, to our younger generation. 
And, you know, they are vitally in the whole chain of passing on the faith. Yeah. And, of course, they, they provide a lot of help with parents. Maybe both parents are working or something. And so uh, they become a very essential part. And it does bring families together, I suppose, doesn't it? Absolutely. And, uh, you know, where families are in, living in the locality where they grew up themselves and the grandparents are around, very often it's the grandparents do all the collecting and maybe sometimes they're dropping to school because, as you say, the parents are working away or uh, they have to go about their, their own chores. And they're a vital part and parcel of family life today. And I think young families are blessed, especially if the grandparents are living locally and are able yeah. to assist in that whole work. Yeah. And it always fascinates me, Stephen, you know, when I watch it, the connection there is between the grandparent and the grandchild. You know, it's it's a magical sort of connection, really. If grandparents are just sometimes say to me, well, you know, it's it's fine. We can always hand them back at the end of the day. <laughs> you know, we, yeah. <laughs> we don't have to, uh, you know, to do all of the parenting. But um, there is a magical connection there and it's something that we need to value and celebrate as well. Yeah. And, of course, the other thing that's happening this week for all of us, I suppose, is a reminder in our prayer for Christian Unity Week which is we're right in the middle of and uh, continues into this week as well. And uh, Sue O'Brien reminded us of the focus of that last week, where she talked about uh, the theme being about belonging. And it sort of fits nicely with what we've been talking about. And, you know, sort of we want our children to feel that they belong to a family and to a community because that's where the support for life very often is. And that is the theme of, of the whole Christian Unity Week as well. Yes, and that's an important theme that we can both embrace. Both our churches can embrace that. And so, uh, good. Well, we certainly pray for church unity. Goodness, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, it's a long time coming, Jerry. but uh, please, God, it won't be too long before I can worship fully with my family, which is something that I miss being able to do at the moment. I suppose there's fractures in all of our lives, and you know this is this can be a painful fracture. I know in your situation, Stephen, must be one of pain. But you know, it's one of there's there's goodness in it too. I suppose the fact that we have we can work and cooperate together uh, so freely, you know, is 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 a sign of the movement and uh, what uh, the Spirit is trying to do. Absolutely, yes. I'm, I'm not complaining, Jerry. It's just something that I'm aware of. But yeah, I mean, we've, church unity has made enormous strides. We're, we're no longer killing each other. You know, if you look back into the uh, uh, 1700s and the 1800s and uh, even more recently, you know, there were terrible things being done in the name of our churches. And uh, thank God, thank God that that has stopped now anyway. So good. Well, let's pr- continue to pray for church unity. And uh, yeah, um, it pray it won't be too long and uh, maybe even in my lifetime actually my bishop bishop michael burroughs wrote an article for the irish times which was published on monday this week i think about week of prayer for christian unity he was quite honest and said that he didn't think it would happen in our lifetime but uh, who knows let's pray that it uh, will be in in your lifetime and in my lifetime jerry but uh, he wasn't quite so confident but uh, yeah an article in the irish Times there from Bishop Michael Burroughs. Well, I suppose in in all aspects of life, I think the challenge for all of us as we go through life is to realize like, well, there will be differences, there will be sometimes disagreements over things like that. 
but how we live with those and how we integrate those into our living is is an important challenge. Yes. And I think even more so today than than ever. I mean, rather than you know labeling people as being whatever it might be conservative or liberal or whatever things like that, labels don't do anything really to move things forward. I think you know yeah. it's it's much better that we work together and that therefore we find the the, the seed of unity that is there. And we respect each other and the differing opinions that Indeed. It's probably like a family, like we were talking about a family, really. If we think of it as a, a family of Christians, and uh, we have our disagreements, but, uh, you know, growing. And it, I, I find that um, it's increasing. You know, when you look at the, uh, uh, the cooperation there is between the Church of Ireland and the Catholic Church, particularly at local levels, you know, we do so much together now. I think the good signs there that it's happening and it seems to be happening driven by the ordinary parish, driven by the ordinary people in the pews seem to be uh, uh, wanting to be together more, which is lovely. Absolutely, absolutely, Stephen. So after Christmas, our colleague, our Vatican correspondent, our world reporter, uh, Colin Flynn, actually came to Kilrush. He was uh, visiting his parents in Ennis and he popped over and came to the studio and uh, sat in the very chair that often you sit in, Joey. So uh, it, we had a very nice chat with Colm. Uh, what a nice fellow he is. He really is. He's a, uh, Not only is he a brilliant broadcaster and a brilliant journalist, he's a, a very nice person when you, you know, just sit down and talk to him, which is what we did. And so that'll be coming up later as well. Very good. I look forward to that. Our other colleague, Brendan Quinlevin, of course, is, is sort of, you know, wrapping my knuckles because he claims <laughs> we've stolen <laughs> Colm from him. Uh, Brendan was the connection there. Yeah. Uh, uh, but, you know, Colin is, is, is great assets to have on board and to enjoy the, his perspective on things, which is very often that global perspective, yeah. which, you know, contributes to the work of, of faith in, in all we do. Yeah. So, Jerry, how many more days of your retreat have you got? Oh, just one, just today, really, returning back to the folds of West Clare for the weekend. So it has been a nice and enriching time. And, uh, you know, if the snow lifts, we'll be on the road. <laughs> well, safe journey, safe journey. And uh, I'll be back uh, next week. Uh, I should be back. So uh, uh, back in uh, Kilrush. So uh, that's good. So, Jerry, thank you very much. Go safely. And I hope that your day coming up is a, a reflective and enriching day for you. Thank you very much, Stephen. God bless you. Thank you. Bye now. This is Cleona Hagen with our very own Wild Atlantic Way. When will you bring me my love? I'm counting down the days. When will you bring me my love? All along the Wild Atlantic Way. I'm 16. In Nova Scotia Waiting for the day The day that we Return in your own word All along the wild Atlantic Way When will you Bring me my love I'm counting down the days When will you Bring me my love All along the wild Atlantic Way Remember when We went to Bundy 
the shipwreck in the bay We sat and watched the northwest sunset All along the wild Atlantic way The time that we climbed Crook Patrick and dearly went astray Our legs were aching, falling off us All along the wild Atlantic way When will you bring me my love? I'm counting down the days When will you bring me my love? All along the wild Atlantic way The time that we went skinny deep And down a dairy day Smelling always salted ocean All along the wild Atlantic way The day that we tuned to Beyond Belief on this Sunday evening and an added bonus, I've actually got Colin Flynn sitting opposite me in Kilrush Come fly with me Let's fly, let's fly away You will play your introductory music but we've got this special uh, Frank Sinatra, we got him to specially record a version of oh, really? Come Fly wow. With Me because the usual thing is where on earth is Colm? And we've had you all over the world, and I think you said you'd been to, goodness knows how many countries, 15 countries this year. Mm-hmm. And we've tracked you down, and you're actually in Kilrush. Stephen, you were very desperate for a guest, clearly, <laughs> and you called me, and here I am, sitting in the studio. And this is great, and it's a beautiful little studio nestled away here in Kilrush, and what a beautiful setting. Isn't it a great gift you can broadcast from here? To the world. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. You're actually sitting in Father Jerry Kenny's chair. <gasps> oh, no. So just Uh-oh. be careful. Don't drop any crumbs. We have got supplies here, uh, so he'll be very jealous because it's a bit upmarket because you're here. Oh, wow. Well. It was just some old uh, mince pies that uh, we had last time. But uh, This is yeah. all Father Jerry's leftovers <laughs> that is left for me. I can see it's starting to mould, and the tea is very cold, but that's okay. Oh, dear. <laughs> 
dear, oh dear. Anyway, you're most welcome. It is a pleasure because it's all very well using Zoom, but I think we're all finding that uh, you can't actually beat sitting and, you know, looking at the whites of their eyes and uh, talking to people, can you? No, and it's been great. We've been having a, a good morning so far and catching up and chatting. Yeah. And I've been joking. The biscuits are beautiful. The tea is hot. It's everything you need for a perfect morning. Yeah, and uh, we're both radio geeks, I think, aren't we? So mm. a lot of the time today uh, we've been spent talking about radio, talking about our background in radio, how we got started and things like yeah. that. Uh, Stephen, don't out me as a radio geek on the radio. Come on, <laughs> things are bad enough for me. I have to, if I'm going to find a wife, I have don't put it out to the universe that I'm a radio geek. No, sorry, he's, he's not. No, he, he couldn't <laughs> care less about radio. Yeah. But uh, as we all know, he's a very talented and gifted broadcaster and journalist. So, But anyway, thank you so much for, for joining us. And we have been talking about radio because it is a passion of both of ours, mm. isn't it? And we both have similar passions, I think. But you mentioned that uh, your first broadcast ever was Beyond Belief when you were 16. And now you're in Egypt. WTN, broadcasting to the world, travelling the world. I mean, there's been quite a step there, hasn't there? So, uh, how long have you been at EWTN? Yeah, can you believe it's amazing, isn't it? It's um, It just shows you life's meandering path. You don't know where it's going to go or where it's going to bring you. And it's a great gift. I've been at EWTN full-time for three years, more or less. But before that, I was working with EWTN for a number of years on a freelance basis, uh, making programs for them, uh, selling them programs from Ireland, or they would assign me a project in Australia, in Korea, in Scandinavia, wh wherever it was. So I got to see the world kind of straight out of yeah. college through the work I was doing. They, they, I was packing my suitcase all the time and heading to far-flung places. It was a I couldn't believe it. It was a great... I still can't believe it. I, I really love it. Yeah. And you're in the Vatican. Yes. I'm not going to become the Pope now or anything. Don't worry <laughs> about that. <laughs> the, the church is in safe hands. I just wonder, you know, did you choose to go to the Vatican? Uh, I mean, how much does faith play a role in, in your choice of where you work? Yeah, I never planned to go to the Vatican. And even when you talk to the other journalists, there's around 60 journalists living in Rome from other countries and they're all assigned to cover the Vatican beat and they could be from CNN or NBC or the BBC or whatever. None of them had planned to go to the Vatican. That wasn't their career path. But at some point in their career, they maybe started covering stories of faith or had a natural flair for people who wanted to talk about things that were deeper than the things of this world. And by somehow or another, they were offered the position of covering the Vatican, being the Vatican correspondent. And that happened to me. I was um, working in New York for the BBC. I was freelance, but mainly all my stuff was for the BBC World Service. And I love that, travelling all over the United States for a vast country with all its problems. It's a great country with great people. And, you know, when people think of America, they think of Hollywood and Los Angeles, or they think of New York, maybe Boston or Chicago. But the vast country of the places in Georgia, Alabama, Ohio, Wisconsin, Michigan, there's just so many incredible places. Um, and I got to travel across all those states, interviewing people about their remarkable stories. So I was mainly working with a show called Outlook. And I think their tag is um, ordinary people with extraordinary stories or something like that. So that's what I did. And it was great going around, making these radio programs. 
but I would often come across in my travels stories of faith or stories that I was covering for the BBC that the person would say, oh, and Colomot really helped me overcome this incredible moment in my life or this tragic event or this what seemed like an insurmountable problem was my faith. So I started offering some of the programs because uh, I was freelance. I could sell them on, selling them to EWTN, the Eternal Word Television Network, which is the largest Catholic television network in the world. It's the largest religious broadcaster in the world. Now it does radio, it does print, it is online as well. And they started buying the programs and then they started saying, Colm, oh, you're, you know, you're good at talking to people about faith. You're open to it. You know, Stephen, many people are not open to it nowadays. Why don't you take a month off from your BBC work and we'll fly you to um, Norway, Sweden and Denmark and do a story about the Catholic Church in Scandinavia or go to Australia for a month and do how the Aboriginal people and the Catholic Church have intermingled and all that stuff. So I said, okay. And I was into my faith always. I grew up in a Catholic family. I have an uncle who's a priest. I have an aunt who's a nun. Um, but the more I traveled, the, the more you would see, wow, look at all these places where there is hardship and where there is great need. Uh, the church and people of faith are here helping them and devoting their lives to them. And that's very impressive. Yeah. Uh, And you've been doing these human interest stories. You're at the Vatican. Where next? I'm going to come back and work for Beyond Belief here in Kilrush. (laughs) And it's going to be great. But I don't know where next. There's always... EWTN is a a great employer. Mm. They really are. They're fantastic. And the freedom they give you, the opportunity to travel... And you really do feel like you're working on something that is worthwhile. Mm. The stories you're telling are not vacuous celebrity stories. They're not philandering politicians. They're, they're, they're ordinary people that are doing something that they really are passionate about. And that passion is infectious and it rubs off on you and you feel excited about the story you're covering. And then the reaction we get from our viewers all over the world um, it is. It's it's incredible. But where to next? I, I don't know because, as you know, Stephen, media is a, a fraught business, even religious media. It's a tough game. It's a very competitive game. And starting out, I knew I wanted to work in media, but I, I knew I didn't want to do Hollywood celebrity stuff. And I knew I didn't have the, the brains or the intellect or the want to do political reporting. So then it's, you know, it leaves you in that twilight zone and I just gravitated towards uh, human interest stories. But next, I can stay in Rome and continue the work at the Vatican and that work, even though it's based in Rome, is very international. Mm. Or maybe return to the United States, come back to Ireland, you know, we, we will see. It's hard. Sometimes when you have a lot of choices, Stephen, it's hard to make a decision. Yeah. And it's a poison chalice in a way that if you, and this is not unique to me, but this is anyone who has success in a, in a business or an industry, uh, success brings opportunities. Yeah. And nowadays the world um, has shrunk. Uh, as your wife, Francis, said this morning, when we were chatting about people flying in for Christmas. The world is a lot smaller. And nowadays we have the opportunity to work in different countries. You can't do it all. You can't be everywhere at the same time. You can't have a great career in America 
and be in Ireland with your family and your friends. You can't be at the Vatican in Rome and stay well-connected in America the whole time. You can go back and forth a lot, but that gets tiring as well. I wish I could have it all, <laughs> but I can't have it all. So yeah. I'm trying to balance it out as best as I can and try and think to the future, what's next. Yeah, yeah. and, and uh, you were brought up as Catholic, as you say, you know, you, you have religious people in your family. Mm. And so you were... I'm thinking of becoming a Scientologist. <laughs> what do you think, Stephen? <laughs> No, uh, no, no, no I comments. Think, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think the family might have something to say about that yeah, as well. I get a clip in the back of the ear. <laughs> but I just wonder about the role that you, you feel faith plays when you see the work being done by ordinary Christians around mm. the world in, in terrible situations, many of them. Do you ever feel drawn to that? Do you ever feel that, you know, perhaps there's something there that you should be doing? Yeah, I, I do. I, I want to get married and I want to have a family. But I have often thought in the past. Now, when I say often, it comes into your mind. I, oh, maybe I could be a priest. You know, maybe I... I oh, well, if you became a priest for us, of course, you would be able to, to have I it all. Have, you know? I could have it all. You know, where do I, where do I apply, well, Stephen? You, you, put your name and address on the back of a 20-year-old okay. note and I'll see what I can do. <laughs> Again, it's the thing of... Um, I know my vocation is for media. Now there are a lot of priests who work in mm. media and that came into my mind before, but then I don't I think I would be good enough to be a priest somehow. I just don't think I would be. I think I would be a great father and a great husband and I could work in media, but supporting the church at the same time. But I'd be lying if I didn't say that sometimes um, if I saw a priest, I love seeing priests with the collar on, because it's such a strong symbol mm. to the world that I'm someone who has given myself as a shepherd. You can walk over to me in an airport, in a train station, on the street, and whatever worry you have in your mind, I'm here to listen to it and give you the word of encouragement and give you a blessing. And that's a powerful thing. Mm. And it's something that I am sometimes envious of. And I think I would love that, to be able to be that witness. But yeah, who knows? You know, I, I think if I don't find anyone to marry me, but that's the wrong <laughs> attitude to have, isn't it? That's not the right attitude. But it's an amazing thing, but it's a big commitment, you know, yeah. uh, to become yeah, yeah. a priest. It's a big, uh, I just did a program for the BBC. I know you heard some of it with a priest in Baltimore who is, um, it's going to showbiz a priest is too kind of flippant a way to put it, but he's a celebrity chef on television in America. And he teaches people about their faith through food. And my problem making the program with him was that I was trying to get a bit deeper with him for the BBC. This is a half hour show. But he is so used to American television where everything is just sound bites and give me those quick one liners. So every time I took out the microphone, he was on and he was the TV priest and he was giving me short answers, funny answers, great lines. And I was thinking, oh, I'm not, I need to get deeper with this guy. And then one night after he had done one of his shows outside of Baltimore, we had an hour-long drive back into Baltimore. Now, I was exhausted. I'd flown in from Rome. He was exhausted because he'd been on the stage for an hour shouting and performing and, and giving great theology. He's a great, great priest, but he also has the gift of performance and communicating. But then he was quiet in the car and he said, oh, I'm exhausted. I can't wait to get to bed. And that's when I took out the microphone and I thought, oh, I'm going to ask you some questions now. And I asked him, 
you've been in front of people all day. Now you're going home alone. A priest's life. Would you not like to be going back to a wife and a family? I said, it's a lonely life. And he said, and it was the first time I had him off guard. And he mm. said, yeah, Colm, sometimes I, f- I feel deep loneliness. Mm. He said, but I realized this is my vocation. And he said, and it's a great life. Mm. So there are the moments of loneliness, but you can be married and be lonely. Absolutely. You can be married and have all the hardships and the problems that a priest could um, could face, you know? And uh, so we started talking about the vows of chastity, obedience, and and poverty. And he was saying, but Colm, if I was married, I couldn't do all the traveling. I would have to be obedient to my wife and my family. Um, you would have to be faithful to your wife. He said, all these things, they would still exist. Mm. So um, it was just very interesting talking to him about how that life is. I just don't know if I'd be strong enough for it, Stephen. <laughs> so I'll probably leave the priesthood well enough yeah. alone and yeah. I'll uh, stay as a broadcaster. Well, I don't think you're buying it. For some reason, I don't think you believe me. The way uh, no, you're, no, you're looking no. at me there with a smirk on your face. <laughs> it's a permanent smile I've got uh, when I'm talking to someone that's interesting. But uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, Colm, you're here, you're in Kilrush, you're about to go to your family in Ennis. Costa del Kilrush. Yeah. This yeah. is where it's all happening. Uh, well, this is lovely. By the sea, you know, what yeah. more could anyone want? Uh, not much. <laughs> But it's somewhere that uh, I've grown to love very much and uh, very, very, very comfortable here. And I have my studio, so Mm. what more does uh, you or I need than a a studio with some bits of kit in it? Exactly. As you said at the start, we are both radio geeks. They have not discovered a cure for this yet. No. I think it's inoperable. And, uh, but here we are. Yeah. And... uh, as ever, it's always a pleasure to talk to you and even more of a pleasure to be able to see you properly as well instead of doing it through Zoom. So, Colm, thank you so much for joining us. And that, quite sincerely, you are so entertaining, interesting and clever that uh, I always enjoy talking to you. And uh, please, God, it won't be Stephen, too long. have you been drinking alcohol this morning? What are you? <laughs> Not where, a drop. Where are you going with this? Not a drop. But, Stephen, it's a pleasure coming on and, and you and Father Brendan and Father Jerry do... Uh, it's a great service, the importance of religious programming on especially local radio um, it's such a lifeline and an outlet to so many people and I know that so it's a pleasure to be on because this is valuable airtime you have uh, any amount of people you could have on talking about any amount of things so thank you for letting me come on and and waffle for a while (laughs) in your ear you can come and waffle anytime you like Colm thank you so much great come fly with me let's fly let's fly Let's fly away Keeping it local now with Adele Vaughan and the Kilfenora Cayley Band with Both Sides Now. Boats and flows of angel hair And ice cream castles in the air And feathered canyons everywhere I've looked at clouds that way But now they only block the sun They rain and snow on everyone So many things I would have done But clouds got in my way I've 
So on this Sunday evening, once again, I'm chatting with Sue O'Brien, who has some interesting books for us. And uh, Sue, you've been looking through these books, reading them for us, and you're going to give us a little review of them. And the first book, I think, will be attractive to quite a number of people in County Clare, because over the, in recent times, especially since COVID, quite a number of groups of people have begun to open water swim, especially in our seas around the Atlantic coast. And this first book deals with that topic. The book is called Chill. So this is a fantastic book. I was I was told about this book by somebody who was evangelical about swimming in the sea and he was evangelical about this book. And he's a he's a super fit guy, very, very nice man, and he was sitting there talking to me about this book and he said you're going to love it now i am the most pathetic toe in water cold water swimmer um i've started uh, i started swimming in lakes rather than the sea with a lovely person who helped me and then i didn't go and then it was the winter and so then i couldn't go um and then i missed my chance last year to start again and then it was because i i, I was unfortunately in a hospital and so then i missed the warm bit and uh, because I have asthma, I'm frightened of starting when it's too cold. So this spring, I've I've got the kit and I'm ready to roll. And this book will get everybody really wanting to do um, to do this. The book is written by an anaesthetist, a consultant anaesthetist, um, and he is uh, evangelical about his job and he's evangelical about the benefits of cold water swimming. And he's not the first doctor. I think the first doctor who thought that it, cold water swimming was good for you physically and mentally was probably sometime, you know, in the, in the 19th century. But the book is divided into three parts. And the first part is quite technical. I mean, it's 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 very, very easy to read. He's a very good, skillful writer. So you enjoy reading it. But apparently all our body's primary urge is to keep our core at a constant temperature of between 36.5 and 37.5. And that makes sense to you if you think about it. If you're ill, when you have a fever, you sweat. And that is your body desperately trying to regulate your temperature to bring it back down. And, of course, as an anaesthetist, he spends a lot of time regulating people's temperature while they're under having surgery. And so he knows that what happens while you're being anaesthetised is that your core body temperature goes right down, which is why if you've ever had an operation, you'll probably wake up vaguely aware that you've got some lovely, warm, lovely, floaty blanket of hot air over you. And that's to get your body temperature, core temperature, back up to... 36.5 to 37.5 so all this is actually easy to understand isn't it and what happens to us when we go into cold water is that the body has a shock and what it does is it pushes all your heat into your core to try to keep your core an okay temperature and actually the stress that it puts your body under is the stress which is healing both for physical ailments and for uh, such as arthritis and all sorts of things like that. But also a lot of people would very much say that cold water swimming is fantastic for your mental health. So that's part one is why is it good for you? 
part two of a book, which you can just actually go straight to if you're thinking, oh, I quite fancy this, I think I might do it, is how do you do it? How do you do it safely? And he gives you six special rules of how to cold water swim safely. And and that's very reassuring for people like me who are old, not particularly fit, you know, really not, feel far from indestructible. So it's very nice to have somebody saying, okay, these are the six rules, uh, know when to get out, know how to get out, be warm before you go in, put your body in before you put your head in the water, focus on your breathing, get out and get dry immediately and get warm immediately and try not to do it on your own. Quite sensible. And I think, you know, the those who have taken to the oh. open water swimming in our Atlantic uh, seas oh. will really appreciate that book. Um, who was the publisher, the author and the publisher uh, again? So the author is Mark Harper. Uh, the title of the book is Chill, the Cold Water Swim Cure. Uh, and the publisher is uh, Chronicle Prism. Moving from that topic into one person who was an open sea swimmer and is famous right throughout the world for her novels is Agatha Christie. And this is a biography of Agatha Christie. So the biography, this biography of Agatha Christie is Agatha Christie, a very elusive woman. And it's written by Lucy Worsley, um, who you may well have seen on television. And I like Lucy very, very much better having read her book. I think she's a very thoughtful, insightful, considered person. And I think she shows great sensitivity writing about Agatha Christie. I think Agatha Christie was certainly at one stage the only author who was read more than the Bible, which is, you know, the most read book in the world. So she was phenomenally successful and we still like her. And, you know, we still like her television programmes, the films, everything that she has spawned. I'm an unashamed fan of hers. I started reading her when I was eight and I have a, a never ending love for detective fiction as a result. So this book uh, tells me lots of things I didn't know about Agatha Christie and paints her. She was a, a shy woman, certainly, and I think we all knew that about her. But she was, she was a woman of real get up and go. She was underneath that shy exterior. I think she was a very much stronger and more assertive person than I think possibly is presented to us in some of the programmes or other articles written about her. And Lucy Worsley really knows the subject well, and she writes very entertainingly. I'm not a tremendous reader of biographies, but actually I loved this. I thought it was superbly written. It presented me with all sorts of insights I hadn't thought about before. And I think somebody like Antonia Fraser or somebody like that says, you know, this is an extraordinary book about an extraordinary woman written by an extraordinary woman. And that's, I think, probably slightly overdoing it. But I do think that it is a book about an extraordinary person because it, Agatha Christie sort of was born 
early in the 20th century and she died quite late on in the 20th century and she was very much a woman of her time. Everything that she did was informed by her very observant social eye. And so even if you're just interested in the 20th century, this biography will give you insights into every decade of that century. And the title of this book and its author again, please. So the title is Agatha Christie, A Very Elusive Woman, written by Lucy Worsley. And that leads us on nicely to the third book that you have for us this evening, Sue, which is to deal with murder mysteries. So new to me, and I'm always delighted to get a new writer to me, Ellie Griffiths, and she has actually written lots of lots of books but the ones that I'm going to talk to you about start with a book called The Zigzag Girl she's written I think about four and I think more are coming and these books are set in the Brighton of the 1950s which may be familiar to lots of people perhaps who've written read Graham Greene's Brighton Rock and Brighton has this extraordinary ability to be both really rather nice and also slightly sleazy and she manages to bring herself between those two sides of Brighton very very well. Every good detective story should have a little bit of a quirk in it and her quirk uh, for the Brighton Mysteries is she has an extremely likeable nice detective. He is a chap who you'd love to meet and chat to a sensitive man who was invalided out of the disastrous Norwegian campaign in the Second World War and then taken off for secret work where he was part of a team of who produced illusions to fox the Nazis and to make them think that there were tank deployments where there weren't tank deployments or lots of troops where there were just paintings of troops or models of tanks. I mean, this did happen in the Second World War, so it's vaguely believable. But alongside him, when he was doing that job, were two stage magicians who were, you know, well-practised in the art of illusion, who were also part of the advisory group. And our lovely policeman's sidekick is one of those stage magicians, the magnificently named Max Mephisto. So, Sue, the, the name of the book and its author again, please. So, the name, of a, the name of the book is The Zigzag Girl, and it's by Ellie Griffiths. So, thank you very much for spending the time for us and for our listeners of reviewing those three books. One, the first book that you talked about this evening, Sue, was called Chill. It'd be a great interest to anybody interested in open water swimming. It's by Mark Harper. The second uh, book that you brought to us was a biography of Agatha Christie. And the third one is by Ellie Griffiths, uh, which is a murder mystery and set in Brighton in the 1950s. We look forward to chatting about more books in the coming weeks. Thank you very much, Sue.
my thanks to Dr. Sue O'Brien and Father Jerry Kenny for that book review.
That's the beautiful sound of Shebael with Carrick Fergus. And it brings us nearly to the end of our programme this evening. Thank you so much for joining me. My thanks go to our guests, Colin Flynn, Dr Sue O'Brien and Father Jerry Kenny. But as ever, I thank you for being with us this evening. Remember, you can listen again by going to the Claire FM website and clicking on the catch-up tab. And you can join Father Jerry Kenny for Sunday prayer at a quarter to eight next Sunday morning. And beyond belief, we'll be back next Sunday evening at 9pm. Until then, this is Stephen Fletcher wishing you a joyful and a peaceful week. Do keep warm. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the palm of his hand. Sloan Agus Banachs.